good to be in church today, and I, I want you to turn in your Bibles, if you would, to 2 Kings chapter 3, 2 Kings chapter 3, we have not put the verse on the slide, maybe we have a little bit there, a little, little small, um, but, but we want you to go in your Bibles, we want you to look in your Bibles, if you don't have a Bible, please see us, and we will make sure that you can get a Bible so that you can join us in the reading, 2 Kings Chapter 3, it's in the Old Testament. Verse 3, Joram, son of Ahab, became king of Israel in Samaria in the 18th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and he reigned 12 years. And Joram, he did evil in the eyes of the Lord, but not as his father and mother had done. He got rid of the sacred stone of Baal that his father had made. Nevertheless, he clung to the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, which he had caused Israel to commit, and he did not turn away from them. Now Mesha, king of Moab, the Moabites, raised sheep, and he had to supply the king of Israel with a hundred thousand lambs and with the wool of a hundred thousand rams. But after Ahab had died, the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel. So at that time, King Joram set out from Samaria and mobilized all of Israel. And he also sent this message to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. The king of Moab has rebelled against me. Will you go with me to fight against Moab? I will go with you, he replied. I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. By what route shall we attack, he asked. Through the desert of Edom, he answered. So the king of Israel set out with the king of Judah and the king of Edom. After a roundabout march of seven days, the army had no more water. Everybody say, no more water. They had no more water for themselves or for the animals with them. What, exclaimed the king of Israel, has the Lord called us three kings together only to hand us to Moab, the king of Moab? But Jehoshaphat answered or asked, is there, is there no prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of the Lord through him? An officer of the king of Israel answered, Elijah, son of Shaphat, is here. He used to be Elijah's water boy. I kind of changed that around a little bit. Jehoshaphat said, the word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. Elijah said to the king of Israel, what do we have to do with each other? Go to the prophets of your father and the prophets of your mother. No, king of Israel answered, because it was the Lord who called us three kings together to hand us over to Moab. Elijah said, as surely as the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve, if I did not have respect for the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I would not look, even look or notice you. But now... Bring me a harpist. Bring me Pastor Josh. While the harpist was playing, the hand of the Lord came on Elisha, and he said, this is what the Lord says, make this valley full of ditches. Everybody say, make this valley full of ditches. For this is what the Lord says, you will see neither wind nor rain. Yet this valley will be filled with water, and you and your cattle and all your other animals will drink. 
This is an easy thing in the eyes of the Lord, and he will also hand Moab over to you. And you will overthrow every fortified city and every major town, and you will cut down every good tree, stop up all the springs, and ruin every good field and stone. My message this morning is called Digging Ditches, if you haven't noticed already. Digging Ditches. Now, it's important for us to understand the background of this story. Every story in the Bible has a moral. Every story in the Bible is something that we can learn from. Sometimes there are direct commandments of the Lord in the Bible, and sometimes there are stories in which we can learn some incredible, valuable principles in which we can live our life in which we can serve the Lord, in which we can help other people. So the background of this story is that King Ahab was a very wicked king. He was the most wicked king in all of Israel. His wife was even worse than he was. Her name was Jezebel. And they were wicked kings, and they led Israel into incredible sin. But now King Ahab... He was a very prosperous king, and unfortunately, he was full of himself. Jezebel was full of herself, and as a result of that, they led people into incredible sin, but they were very wealthy people, and they had their hand firmly on the king of the Moabites. Now, remember that the Moabites were always the enemies of Israel. While Israel was marching through the desert, the Moabites were always trying to destroy the people of Israel. And there was a great edict against the Moabites. And Ahab, instead of destroying the Moabites, he took the Moabites and put them under his, his um, control. And the king of the Moabites had to constantly offer to the king of Israel all these different sheep and lambs and goats and all these things. But when Ahab died, the king of Moab said, you know what? I had enough of this king of Israel. I'm going to march against. And I don't care if we all die. I'm not going to be a servant to this king any longer. Well, the king, King Joram, he was also a very wicked king. The Bible says he wasn't as bad as his father, but he was as wicked as you can get it. The Bible said he was full of himself, and he decided, you know what, I'm going to crush this king of Moab, and I'm going to do it by inviting my partner in crime, Jehoshaphat. Now, Jehoshaphat wasn't a really bad king. He was just kind of learning. And we learn a lot about Jehoshaphat, that over the time, Jehoshaphat learns to trust in God and love God and serve God. But the Bible says that Jehoshaphat is called by the king of Israel, and the king of Israel says, I need you to march with me. And Jehoshaphat says, your horses are like my horses, my horses are like your horses, my kingdom's like your kingdom, I'm with you, I'm going to do this. And so not only do they join together, but another king from another army also joins together. And now there's three kingdoms, there's three armies against one. The odds are in favor of the king of Israel, by far. They are Goliath, 
by far the king of Moab is a small little king and he's going to get crushed. And so now these three kings, they decide that they're just going to march out. They don't inquire of the Lord. They don't ask God for his blessing. They don't ask God what, what he thinks that they should do. They are full of themselves. They are full of confidence because they are really not relying on the hands of the Lord. They're relying on their great big army, their massive amount of artillery, and they're going to crush this little king. So now they start marching towards the king. They don't know what they're doing. For seven days, they are in complete chaos. Because why? Because God caused them to be confused. And now they're in the desert for seven days, and they run out of water. Now, when you're in the desert, you don't need gas. You don't need artillery. When you're in the desert for seven days, you need water. And they are completely out of water. And now this big, massive army starts to stumble in the desert. One by one, the animals start dying off. One by one, you see the soldiers start falling. One by one, and they panic. They don't know what to do. And now they decide that they're going to find somebody who knows God, somebody who loves God, somebody who can get a word from God. So the king Jehoshaphat says to the king of Israel, isn't there anybody in your army? Isn't there anybody you know that knows the Lord? Friends, I want you to know that God's still looking for some people that can hear from God in this generation. And he said, I know some. It's, his name is Elisha. And he's Elijah's water boy. I mean, he would just take water to Elijah. I don't know how good he is. I don't know how dependable he is. And he seems to be a rookie. But let's go find out what he says and what the Lord says to us. And they get there. And Elijah's waiting because Elijah knows. He's, a, he's an incredible dude, Elijah. I mean, Elijah's incredible. He knows they're coming, and when they get there, can you imagine speaking to the king like that? you got to love prophets. you got to love prophets. You know, sometimes prophets are like black and white, and they're often offensive. Have you ever gotten offended by a man of God? Well, maybe it's a good thing every once in a while for a man of God to offend you. And so the king comes, and he says, we're in big trouble. Tell us what the word of the Lord is for us. And what does Elijah say to the king? He says, what do I have to do with you? He says, if I didn't have respect for Jehoshaphat, I wouldn't even look in your face. Can you imagine that? He says, but, but I want to tell you what the word of the Lord is for you. He says, not because you're great, not because you serve the Lord. In fact, you are self-absorbed. You are self-reliant. You're so sure of yourself, but you forgot to do the most important thing. You forgot to ask the Lord if the Lord was blessing you. You forgot to ask if the Lord was going with you. You forgot to ask the Lord for his blessing in your life. And God has allowed you to get to this point in your life. Listen to me. A great need in your life can be the greatest thing that can ever happen to you. Why? Because a great need, when you come to the end of yourself, 
when you come to the end of your own resources, wow, you think you're so wealthy and you think you've got all of these things going for you. But when you get to the end of yourself and all of us have to get to the end of ourselves in order for the kingdom of God to come, as the Bible says, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are the desperate for they shall cry out to God in humility and God will meet them. Come on, somebody. You see, a great need can be a good thing if it leads you to a deeper dependency on God. Let me say that again. And I'm going to put my Assemblies of God voice on. A great need can be a good thing if it leads you to a deeper dependency on God. Listen to me. There comes a time in all of our lives where we come to the place that we realize that all of our human efforts can't bail us out. Our marriage is falling apart and our wisdom can't bail us out. Our home, our kids are going the wrong way in life and all, in the, all the money in the world that we can throw at the situation cannot bail us out. Our soul is dry, our lives are empty, our hopes are gone, our strength is completely dried up, and God is our only answer in life. And that's when we realize that God doesn't want me to simply use Him to meet my needs as we learned, as we read, as we sang this morning that it's not about receiving the blessings of God but knowing that beyond the blessings of God it is God that we're really seeking after it is God that we want not the blessings we don't want his hand we want his face I said we don't want his hand we want his face and he wants to use us so that all of the problems in our life lead us to him and maybe this morning you have run out. You've run out of gas. Worse than that, you've run out of water. You're thirsty, and God's got your attention. You're broken, you're desperate, you're ready to stop trying on your own, and you're ready now to listen to God. Question, what need do you have in your own personal life that only God can meet? Now, I'm not just talking about you bailing yourself out or figuring out a way to figure out this situation in your life, but what need in your life, what thing has brought you to that place of desperation in your life, what struggle that you're having in your life that no one else knows about, what cry in the middle of the night that you cry out to God and you say, God, if you don't come through, God, if you don't deliver me, I'm going to die. Your greatest need becomes your greatest opportunity. What struggle, what challenge, what thing in your life keeps you up at night and says, you know what, I, I, I need God. I need God. I need God to bail me out. You see, your greatest need becomes your greatest victory, and your greatest weakness becomes your greatest strength. Hallelujah. Let me say that again. Let me say it really slow. Your greatest need becomes your greatest victory, and your greatest weakness becomes your greatest strength. Hallelujah. It's that place of desperation in our life, and our friends, 
You're right in the place where God wants to send rain in your life. Notice what the king of Israel says in verse 10. What? He's probably from New York. What? Exclaimed the king of Israel. Has the Lord called us three kings together only to hand us to Moab? He's blaming God. I mean, come on now. So many people want to blame God when they get themselves in a mess. You know, I have stood at hospital bedsides. I have counseled people. I have ministered to people. And so often you see people who are living in sin for a very long time in their life. I mean, they are just going the opposite way from God and they can't be blessed from God. And now their life is a disaster. They've been smoking three packs of cigarettes every day. You, you, want, me, you want me to tell you that smoking is a sin? You better believe it's a sin. Anything that destroys your body is a sin. Overeating is a sin, folks. Come on, somebody. Injecting cholesterol into your veins is a sin. This is the temple of the Holy Spirit. We need to take care of it, glory to God. And I realized I need to do a little bit more. I was on Shelter Island yesterday riding my bike up those hills, and um, it was wonderful going down. It was impossible going up. And I thought to myself, I need to get in better shape. You know, we, we do all these things. We drink, we kill our liver, we smoke, we kill our lungs. We overeat, we overwork, we don't take care of ourselves. We don't take those times to pause and reflect on the goodness of the Lord. We don't meditate, we don't pray, we don't read the word. We come to the end of our life and we say, what's God handing me over to my enemy? Friend, you've been in the enemy's camp for a very long time and God didn't hand you over. You went there to the other side of the camp. And he's blaming God. It wasn't God's fault. It's never. It's Everybody say with me, it's never God's fault. It's never. Come on, get it through your head. It's never God's fault. What? Is the Lord handing us over to this puny little king? Well, no. You rejected God. You didn't want to know about God. And God's like, okay, you fight your own battles. And now this little king is going to give you a beating and teach you a lesson that no matter how many horses and chariots you have and people you have around you, you know what? You're still no match for the enemy. James 1.13 says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted by his own evil desire. He is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, it gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, brothers. Whatsoever a man sows, he also reaps. But at least Jehoshaphat has sense to stop and say, is there anyone in Israel that can help us? Is there anyone that hears from the Lord? Listen to me. Sometimes we need to stop. And as Pastor Anthony says, recalculate. We need to stop and recalculate. Sometimes we need to stop and look for help. So Jehoshaphat says, is there anyone who still hears the word of the Lord? Is there anyone who can have a, an understanding of where, what I do next? Where do I go next? Listen to me. The world, listen to me. The world still needs God-fearing, spirit-filled, non-compromising people who can say, this is what the word of the Lord says. Come on, somebody. I, I, I'm, I'm heartbroken over what I've seen on TV with this young lady who grew up in a Christian home and now she has to sell her body on TV because she wants the ratings. 
So yesterday we go, a couple of us, we went to Ralph's Ice. You know Ralph's Ice is just the best ice in the whole world. And I did something I never do, never did. They took pictures of it. I got a large. And, I, and, and, and in, in this Ralph's store, there's a TV. There's a TV everywhere. You can't get away from TVs. And guess what is on? Miley Cyrus. And there's three girls behind the counter. And you know, like, kind of like, I got to say something. My wife's like, come on. <laughs> no. I got I got to say something because they're they're watching they're, they're, they're and they're watching this and I and I got to say something. And I said, you know, young ladies, that's not what that's not what it's all about. I said. And 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 she's not a good role model. She is not a good role model. That's not what you need. You you listen to me. I told these young ladies, I said, young ladies, I want to tell you something. You and they looked at me. I couldn't believe what I said. I said, listen. You, you're going out with boys, and you tell that boy that until he puts a ring on your finger, he gets nothing. I said, because let me tell you something. They will use you and throw you away. I said, she's not a good... And they were like, yes, yes. They were like, please, you're crazy, man. Who are you? <laughs> but I was just so heartbroken. And where's the outcry? Where, and you know what I told them? I invited them to a church out east. And one young girl, she looked like she was 18 years old. I said, you go to church? She said, no, I don't go to church. I said, you know what? I'm going to tell you something. It's not about church. It's about your own relationship with God. God is awesome, and he wants to do something great in your life. And, and she stopped for a moment, and I talked a little bit more. And, you, know, with, you know, I'm just really cool. You know, I took my time with this whole thing. You know what I mean? And, 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 and I just, and I prayed for these young ladies that the Lord would, I prayed this morning that the Lord would touch them. God would, have, she was 14 years old, and she didn't want to go to church. I don't believe in God, I don't believe in anything. And I prayed for her, and I said, God, raise up some young people who really understand what it is to live a holy and pure and chaste life. I just wanted to, I just, I, I pulled out my phone. I said, these are my daughters. See my daughters right here? And, these, and this is my daughter's boyfriend, and he's a good boy. He's a really good boy. And if he touches my daughter, I'll break his legs. <laughs> Hallelujah. I said, but he's a really good boy. I said, and you know, young ladies, when you serve God with all your heart, I said, when, when you know God and you're, when, you, when you're chaste, when you're chaste, you find boys like this. You don't find boys that want to use you and throw you away because you got standards in your life. You love God and you love yourself. Come on, somebody. I'm talking to somebody today. Somebody has to say that. We need people who still have the word of the Lord. Elijah was a man of God. Yeah, he was Elijah's water boy, but he wanted a double portion of what God had given Elisha. And the Bible says that he got it. And here's what it, I love what it says. He says, he says, bring, bring a harpist. Bring Pastor Josh up here. Come on, Pastor Josh. Come on up here. Bring Pastor Josh up here and give him the guitar and, and, and let him play. Go ahead. Let's see, let's, let's see, let's see if this works, okay? Okay. Here, come, come over here. Let's see what happens when you do this, okay? I want you to sing, I'm desperate for you. Ready? Bring a harpist. There you go. Here's the harpist. And I, I, I'm feeling it, baby. Woo! Can you feel the anointing happening? 
The harpist is playing. I feel the presence of God. Come on, keep playing. I'm sorry, I'll laugh. And I, I'm desperate for you. You think that's funny? What's so funny about being desperate for God? Give him a big hand. Don't you love him? And the Bible says that, that Elijah said, bring me a harpist so that I can hear the word of the Lord. And, and, and what is he saying? He's saying that in worship you can hear from God. Friends, that we don't just gather together on Sunday morning and hear a couple of songs and go and, and get to the message, but we worship God because in the presence of God, there is fullness of joy. In the presence of worship, God begins to speak to us. Glory to God. And God speaks to Elisha. And what does he say to Elisha? He says, tell them that tomorrow there's going to be water everywhere they look, not because they deserve it, because I'm a good God. We don't get blessed because we deserve it. We are blessed because God is a good God. And what does he tell the kings to do? He says, I want you to take some shovels, and I want you to go out into the desert where you are, and I want you to dig ditches. I want you to dig a whole bunch of ditches. He says, and you know what? You're not going to know where the water comes from. You're not going to see the wind nor the rain. But tomorrow morning when you wake up, those ditches are going to be full of water. Wow. You know what that's saying? That's saying there comes a time in your life when you don't know how God is going to provide. You have no idea how God's going to provide. But you have to roll up your sleeves and you've got to do something before the blessing will come. You have to roll up your sleeves and do something before the provision will come. You see, it will require faith. Even though you don't know how it's going to happen, even though you won't see the rain by tomorrow, the dead places in your life will be living streams of water. By tomorrow, the dry desert in your life will become a place of blessing. I'm prophesying and I'm telling you today that no matter where you are in your life, no matter what's happening in your life, maybe you are dry spiritually. Maybe you are dead spiritually. Maybe you are desperate for God. I want you to know today that God is speaking to every one of you and everyone that's watching via live stream that even though there is deadness in your life, God wants to bless your life. He wants to bring living waters, springs of living waters into your soul, into your life. He wants to bless your socks off. And he's saying to you, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, even though you don't deserve it, I'm going to send the rain. I'm going to send a ladder blessing to you. I'm going to send something incredible to you. But you've got to dig the ditches first. For some of us, we're going to have to repent. That's a ditch that we're going to have to some of us are going to have to ask God for forgiveness for going our own way. You see, I believe that there are certain things that we must do to play our part in seeing God's miracles in our life. It's inspiration versus implementation. Well, I can inspire you every day. Every Sunday morning, I can inspire you that God wants to bless you. And you can come and you can hear a good sermon and say, praise God. But friend... The difference between inspiration and implementation is that you have to do something about what you've heard today. 
You have to be a doer of the word, not just a hearer of the word. James tells us that faith without doing anything is dead. Faith without works is dead. Everybody say, faith without works is dead. You see, we all want to see miracles in our life. We all want to see miracles in our marriage, in our home, in our, in our children's lives. But we have to be willing to dig the ditches so God can fill them. In fact, the Bible is filled with ditch diggers. Abraham was a ditch digger. Before God could bless him, he had to leave his own homeland and trust God. He digged the ditch of faith. Moses was a ditch digger. Mary was a ditch digger. Peter was a ditch digger. All these different people in the Bible are digging ditches. Why? Because they're believing God's going to bless them. All these people are digging ditches because they believe in the promise of God and they believe that they have to prepare themselves for the blessing of God in their life. I call it positioning yourself for the blessings of God. Even Elijah himself had to position himself to be blessed by God. So digging ditches is preparing for God to bless you in your life. I want you to all say with me, when I dig a ditch, I'm preparing for God to bless my life. God sends the rain, you dig the ditches. God said, I'm going to send the rain, but you have to first prepare yourself for my blessing. Number two, digging ditches is the dirty work of the kingdom. Nobody wants to do dirty work in the kingdom. Did you ever notice that? Everybody wants the blessings. Everyone wants to receive a miracle in their life, but no one wants to pray through until the miracle comes. Come on, somebody. Everyone wants their husband, their daughters, their children, their family, their wife to be blessed, but no one wants to get on their face early in the morning before anyone gets up and pray a blessing over their family. Let me tell you something. I'm a blessed man. I thank God for my family. I thank God for my daughters. And friends, I want you to know they're not perfect. Nobody's perfect in this world. And there's going to be times in their life that they're going to fail God, and you need to give them grace in their life because they are up against a whole lot more than any, one of, any other child in this place because they're their pastor's daughters but I want you to know something I'm so proud of them and I'm so blessed that I'm their father and I'm so thankful that all three of them love the Lord but friend there was a whole lot of ditch digging that had to go on in their lives there was a whole lot of mornings that I had to get up early in the morning before they even woke up and cried out and said God I pray that you bless my children God I pray that you anoint my children God there was a whole lot of Bible stories that I had to preach to them there was a whole lot of times when I had to stop and say I'm here to talk with you. I'm here to listen to you. I'm here to love you. There were times when I wanted to do something else, but I put it off and I dug a ditch of relationship with my children. So now I can look back. They're 24 years old. They're 21 years old. They're 19 years old. And I can say, thank you for the blessings of God. Why? Because I was willing to roll up my sleeve and say, God, I'm going to dig some ditches for my family. Glory to God. And friend, it's dirty work. Nobody wants to do the dirty work. We want the blessing without the work, but faith without works is dead. You see, digging ditches is the human part of a miracle. Oh, we want the miracles. Elisha says to the kings, listen, tomorrow morning, the blessings of God are going to come. But you better get as many shovels as you can. How we limit God. I suppose that if they would have dug three ditches, God would have filled three holes. I suppose if they would have dug 
20 ditches, God would have filled 20 holes. I suppose if they filled that whole desert area with ditches, God would have filled every single hole. How we limit God instead of believing that God is a great God, an awesome God. And the more holes we give him, the more blessing he sends. The more holes we give him, the more water we receive from God. You see, miracles are not magic tricks. Faith is not a lottery ticket. Faith is a work order. I said faith is a work order. It's not a magic ticket that we have, but faith is a work order. Faith puts a shovel in your hand and tells you, you want your family to be blessed, then pray together. You want your marriage to be blessed, spend time together. You want community to be blessed, throw a big hope party and let them come. Faith is the work order of our life that puts into our hands the responsibility of the human part of a miracle. See, real faith keeps digging even when people are laughing. People are laughing. They're always laughing. Let them laugh. Oh, the world laughs at me. It does. The crazy minister goes into Ralph's ice and talks to these kids about God. I don't know. Maybe when I laughed, they la when I left, they laughed at me. They mocked me. I don't care. Let them laugh all they want. When the when the day of the Lord comes, when judgment day comes, I will stand before the Lord and I will hear the words of the Lord. Well done, thy good and faithful servant. And while they laugh, we build an ark. While they laugh, we build an ark because the rain is coming. Hallelujah. The rain is coming. And by faith, we build the ark. See, I want to encourage you to keep on digging. See, digging ditches makes us responsible. Did you ever break down the word responsible? Did you ever break down that word? Did you, ever, did you ever think about what the word responsible means? Well, I think that the word responsible means that we're hardworking, we're loyal, we're faithful, we're people that can be counted upon. That, that's what people think the word responsible means. But let's break down the word responsible. Let's start with response. Response-able. You see, when you dig ditches in your life, you prepare yourself to respond to God's miracles in your life. When you dig ditches in your life, when you do the work of prayer and fasting and seeking the Lord and reading the Bible, when you don't feel like reading the Bible, when you don't feel like praying with your kids, but you do it anyway, when you don't feel like coming to church and, and hearing a sermon, you come anyway. When you don't feel like going to small groups, but you go anyway, you are digging the ditches of discipline in your life. When you wait upon the Lord every single... Oh, man, that hurt. No, I'm just kidding. When you wait upon the Lord every single day of your life, what you're doing is you are putting in your life the disciplines so that when the opportunity comes, you will be able to respond. When the difficulty comes, you will be able to respond. When the opportunity comes, when the blessing is on its way, you will be positioned 
to be able to receive the blessing. Why? Because you have been digging the ditches of discipline in your life so that you will be, listen to me, response-able. You will be able to respond in the way that God wants you to respond. You see, prayer doesn't give you eternal life. Listen to me. If you never prayed another prayer in your whole entire life, God would still love you exactly the same. Did you know that? If you never read the Bible, if you never read another scripture in your life, God would love you the same. I know that's hard for you, some of you to grab a hold of that. If you never did another work for the kingdom, God would love you the same. It doesn't mean you're going to go to heaven. It just means God would love you the same. And then, and then heaven, heaven is a free gift. You can't work for it. You can't dig ditches for it. You can't earn it. You can't do anything. It's by grace that you're saved. But let me tell you what prayer does. Prayer prepares you to be response-able. That when you are prayed up, when you're fasted up, when you've read the word, when the trial comes, you're able to respond in a godly way. You see? So it's the dirty work of the kingdom, and everyone needs to dig a ditch. Everyone needs to learn how to prepare themselves for the blessings of God. So when you pray, you're digging a ditch. When you share your faith, you're digging a ditch. When you love, when you keep on loving, when you prepare and keep on preparing and studying the word, when you keep on reaching out, you're digging ditches. When you pray earnestly for revival, you're digging a ditch for the rain to come. When you're working on your marriage, when you don't feel like it, you're digging a ditch. So God is saying to you and I this morning, if you dig the ditch, I'll send the rain. As the worship team comes this morning, maybe you have stopped digging ditches. Maybe you have stopped believing God for a miracle. On your way in this morning, I hope every one of you got a shovel. Let me see your shovels. Let me see your shovels. We gave you a little small shovel. You know why we gave you a small shovel? Because we're absolutely cheap. We gave you a small shovel because if we gave you a big shovel, you couldn't carry it around. If I gave you this shovel and said, take it to work tomorrow and dig some ditches, you wouldn't take it. If I gave you the shovel and told you to hang it on your rearview mirror, you wouldn't do it. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to take this shovel and put a little rope on it and hang it on your rearview mirror. When you get it in your, when you get in your car to go to work in the morning, remember, life is all about filling the desert with holes, preparing yourself as you dig a ditch, as you, as you drive your car back home at night and you pull up in the driveway, I pray that this, this little spoon, this little shovel will dangle in front of your eyes and you'll know that when you walk into your house and you spend time with your children, you're digging a ditch. You're digging a ditch of faith, hallelujah. 
I want you to look at this shovel from time to time and remember that every prayer that you pray, that every time you read the word, that every time you spend time with God, that every time you share your faith with somebody else, you're digging a ditch, getting ready for God to send the rain. How many of you want the rain? How many of you want the rain of God in your life? How many of you want the rain of God in your life? Come on, stand to your feet, raise your hands, say, I want the rain of God in my life. Come on, say, I want the rain of God in my life. Come on, raise your hands right now as we worship the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord God. Lord, send the rain, God. Lord, we pray that you would send the rain today, God. Lord, we pray, oh God, that you would send the rain, oh God. Lord, we ask for the rain, God. We ask the rain of your blessing, oh God. We ask for the rain of revival, God. We ask the rain of your Holy Spirit to come down on this place this morning, God. Lord, we ask for the rain. Provide for us, God, the finances that we need, God. Lord, we've come to the end of ourselves, God. Lord, we've come to the end of our own ability, oh God. We've wandered around the desert for seven days, seven years, 70 years, oh God. And we're dry and we're empty, oh God. We've depended upon ourselves. We've relied on our own armies. We've relied on our own strength, God. For God, for the rain, we cry out for God. Oh Lord Jesus, we pray that today, God, you would help us to continue to dig ditches, God. Father, there's a mother in this place today that's discouraged, Lord God. There's a mother that's tired, God. God, she's been in the hot sun for years, God. God, there's sweat flowing from her brow, God. She's thirsty, God. Her own soul is dry, God, because she's been out there digging ditches and she doesn't see anything, God. Father, help her to see, God. The rain is on its way, God. Hallelujah. God, we've been praying for revival, God. We've been praying for revival in, in Valley Stream, God. And God, last week, God, 131 people came to know Jesus as their Savior because somebody was willing to dig a ditch, God. Somebody was willing to go out into that park, God, and dig a ditch and set up a tent. Dig a ditch and set up a chair. Dig a ditch and sing a song. Dig a ditch, oh God, and hand a hot dog to somebody, God. And as a result, God, you sent the rain, God. 131 people came into the kingdom of God. And you rained your grace and mercy on these people, God. Father, somebody's in this room today. And they've been praying for a miracle, God. They've been praying for a miracle of healing, God. And they've been reading your word. And they've been standing on your word. And every time they open up the Bible, God, every time they look into the word, Every time they quote the scripture, they're digging a ditch, God, so you can bless them, God, for the rain we want, God. So here we are this morning. You're in this room and you say, God, I want you to rain down on me. I want you to rain down on my children. I want you to rain down on my marriage. I want you to rain down and provide for me, God. Lord, I don't know how it's going to happen, but I'm just going to continue to dig ditches. I want you to get out of your seat right now and come to this altar and raise your hand towards heaven today and say, God, I want rain, God, in my life, God. I want rain in my life, God. I'm believing for my child. I'm believing for my son. I'm believing for my daughter. I'm believing for my school. I'm believing for my church. I want you to come on. I want everybody to come out of your seat and come to the altar for a few moments 
and raise your hand towards God today and say, God, I lift up my shovel, God. Help me to have strength, God. Help me to have conviction, God. Help me to have faith, God, that as I dig the ditches, oh God, I'm preparing, God, for a revival in my family. I'm preparing for a revival in my own heart. Come on, raise your hands towards heaven right now and say, God, send the rain, hallelujah. Send the rain, God. Send the rain, God, hallelujah. And if there's somebody you're believing for, say, God, I believe in for so-and-so, that you're going to send rain on their lives. Glory to God. Come on, raise your hands and worship him today. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord God. Open up the sky.